Hi everyone, my name is Montserrat and I serve as the Associate Director of Campus Activities and Events at Clemson University. I'm also happy to be your host for the Nashville Leadership po Podcast presented by the Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. I'd like to welcome everyone to the fifth and final episode of our five-part series. I said five several times there in quick succession on the role of leadership educators transforming learning, the new book by Drs. Kathy Guthrie and Dan Jenkins. Uh, on this episode, we're going to be covering basically the back half of the book, which uh, which has a chapter on assessment and then a lot of really wonderful examples on, on, on pedagogy. So excited to get into that. Uh, my first guest is uh, Dr. Kathy Guthrie. Uh, Dr. Guthrie is an Associate Professor of Higher Education in the Department of Educational Leadership and Policy Studies at Florida State University. And my second guest is Dr. Dan Jenkins, who serves as Chair and Associate Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. Welcome, Kathy and Dan. Hi. Hi. All right, Dan, so let's get started. Uh, can you tell me uh, what is the best video game from the 1980s? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, it's got me in uh, seeing that Ready, Ready Player One is, uh, is about to come out in the theaters. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's got me back in that, uh, back in that zone of, uh, of these 80 game, 80s games and being very nostalgic about them. Uh, I'm going to have to lean, I was going to go with Super Mario Brothers 3, but I'm going to have to go with Contra. Um, I think I play that game more than any other uh, game on the, on the original NES, um, and everybody knows the, uh, well, any, any child from the 80s remembers the, the code to get the, uh, the extra lives there. Um, I've seen t-shirts and things uh, that, that have that, that sequence on them, and so um, I'm going to have to go with Contra. <laughs> okay, great. Um, Kathy, I know that you've been rereading a lot of Brene Brown's work, which I would say is, uh, I, I would say Brene Brown is probably like the, uh, the uh, official um, sort of thinker of higher education, perhaps. Uh, what have you found in, in rereading that, 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 you know, that's been interesting? Yeah, you know, I would say just, I, I, see it differently showing up for me. One book specifically that I've read probably six or seven times is Daring Greatly. And depending on what identity I'm focusing on, whether it's my role as a faculty member or my role as a mother or my role as a partner, I think about how I, you know, her message in that book shows up differently in those different roles. And so it's been really um, phenomenal to think about just her book coming alive again for me so many different ways and times. And so I'm excited. I'm um, going to be reading the Braving the Wilderness for the second time. Um, I have it ready to go. So I'm excited to see if that, if I pick up new things on that. But I think the depth of what she's writing about is just really incredible. And that the fact that I can continue to learn <laughs> from reading it so many times really speaks loudly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, Dan, can you close the chapter for me on our on the uh, sepia lens of Florida and Maine that we have uh, put over the top of the series? And uh, what if you could bring one part of Florida to your life in Maine, what would you choose? Yeah, that, that's an easy one. It would be the warm water. Um, you know, it's, it, being being on the coast up here, it's so so beautiful, um, but. Man, you don't want to go in that water. It's just it's gonna cut you like nails. Uh, it just cuts right through you. Um, it's cold. <laughs> the warmest water I think I've ever been in. 
um, uh, that was the, you know in the ocean up here. It was in the in the low 60s during one of the hottest days of the of the year, um, and so the lakes are. The lakes do get up into the seven, into the high seventies, and but um, I do miss, you know, just swimming around in the in the Gulf, uh, you know, in in Maine, and so, or excuse me, in Florida, and so if there was that uh, that warm water here, that would that would just that would make it perfect. <laughs> um, all right, Kathy, let's let's fully close our geographic loop here. Outside of pizza, <laughs> what do you miss most about the Midwest? Oh, well, besides family and friends, because that's where all my, my people are, I would say, really, um, fall. I love the changing of the leaves, and I just love October. When I was at University of Illinois, there was actually a touring organization called October Lovers Club, and they only functioned in the month of October. And every day they had something related to October, whether it was drinking apple cider or going on a hay rack ride or picking pumpkins or doing bonfires. I mean, there was something every day. And so um, I, October is probably my favorite when I was living in the Midwest, uh, my favorite month. And so I would definitely say fall and the month of October in the Midwest is what I miss most. Oh, I believe that. I believe that. <laughs> All right, Dan, to kind of extend a conversation that we wrapped up in episode, uh, that we started in episode four, excuse me, much to y'all's credit, I think assessment is built in the very fabric of this book, and chapter eight is devoted specifically to that subject. Um, let's start with the most obvious, with the obvious to most, but not to everyone question. Why should we assess leadership programs? Sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the the answer there is um, to find out whether or not uh, our programs are actually teaching our students leadership. Um, you know, and it, when we say assessment, um, usually folks don't jump for joy. Um, it's one of those tough things that that we have to uh, that we have a responsibility to do as as educators in any discipline um, and in any in any field. Um, but you know, we it's a young discipline. Um, our, our, our discipline of leadership and you know we haven't been teaching this stuff very long in our colleges and universities you know the first programs uh, depending on uh, you know what you read and where you look you know were uh, developed in the late 80s and early 90s and so you know we haven't been doing this that long um, but we have found through some of our research and uh, and certainly some of the things that that are in that are in the book that there are some instructional and assessment strategies that are more effective than others. Um, but um, how do we know that? You know, is it um, some educators would say, well, the students tell me it's effective, you know. Um, but, you know, how are we going through it in more of a structured and intentional um, process? How do we know that this program or this service learning or that activity or that sequence um, of courses or this leadership minor, um, et cetera, how do we know that it's truly um, effective? Um, and so uh, that's, that's the why. All right, perfect. So, um, Kathy, to backtrack just a bit, Chapter 4 included an extensive discussion of assessment strategies for leadership education. In our discussion in Episode 3 of Curricular Planning Issues, I couldn't help but think a great deal about assessment and its relationship to program planning. Y'all use the phrase building a bridge between planning and outcomes a couple of times and provide great information throughout on assessing leadership. 
I wonder, do you think the issue here is one of building a bridge or starting assessment with the end in mind? Oh, that's a good um, good thought, right? And distinction between those two or, you know, kind of thinking about that. You know, I, I can see it both ways. I can definitely see it. I, I do um, lean more towards the building a bridge metaphor because it is part of if you're starting with assessment in the planning stages, then that will definitely connect to the outcomes and all the be kind of that loop. When you think about starting assessment with the end in mind, I'm always thinking, well, you don't want to assess before you know what you want to assess, right? So you need to make sure that you're planning first to then know what you definitely want to assess. But that assessment piece should definitely be in those first um, stages and not as an add-on, which sometimes it unfortunately is. And so really that um, intentionality of, making sure assessment is in not just at the end of a program, but even throughout a program so that you can get the data that you need is really critical. All right. So, Dan, uh, the second half of the book is devoted to pedagogy, and we would be remiss if time wasn't devoted to that conversation. So in episode one, we talked about, um, we, we uh, talked about the forward um, of uh, we talked about the forward of the book, and in there there was an interesting observation um, from Susan Kovacs that she had gotten that she had gotten from you about discussion being the signature pedagogy of leadership education. You also identify case study, reflection, team-based learning, service learning, self-assessment, role play, and leadership as art as vital pedagogies. So there are tons of great examples included in this portion of the book. It's really a toolbox for leadership educators. But if you were going to identify a couple of specific examples you've seen successfully applied in multiple contexts, so, you know, you've seen this kind of role play work, you know, on this campus and in this program, and you've seen this kind of, uh, you know, this kind of team-based learning work, you know, in a bunch of different places, um, what would you choose? What, what would you point out just, you know, some, some things for folks to be looking towards is like, oh, that's something that seems to work in a bunch of different places, you know, thinking about context that we've talked about, it's worked in a bunch of different contexts. What would you, what would you recommend? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much to, uh, you know, to pull from uh, here, you know, it's, that it's, it's challenging. Um, but one of the great joys too, of, of going through and doing the, of writing, you know, uh, of working on those chapters was, you know, looking into a lot of the, the research on teaching and learning uh, that was out there, not only in, um, in leadership development and education, but in the college teaching literature generally. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, one of the things that, um, that I've certainly pulled through, uh, through, this, uh, through this work and that I think is really central to, um, to leadership education, and, you know, you, you mentioned that idea of the signature pedagogy, um, you know, and that, and, and so, you know, through the research I found that it is, you know, definitely discussion and that uh, rings true both at the undergraduate and graduate level. And I think there's a lot of reasons uh, for that, both that we're trying to, you know, model that inclusive uh, atmosphere um, in our classrooms, um, uh, but, but also that we want you know, students to, to take that type of um, approach and, and bring it to their own, their, their own organizations. And so I think that, um, you know, for one example, this idea of, uh, of moving 
from having students uh, passively uh, present information uh, in, in your classes uh, to facilitating a discussion in your classes. Um, you know, and, and so I think that you know, it's, it's, it's a simple shift. Um, but instead of having them up there, you know, going through a PowerPoint and, and, and you know, God help us uh, reading verbatim off of the slides, um, you know, preparing a uh, discussion or a dialogue with their peers is a much more uh, intentional and productive uh, learning activity. You know, are they able to um, have a conversation, you know, because that's what, that's what we want them to do when they go back to their organizations is to include others in the processes and to to feel questions and to ask uh, thought-provoking questions and, you know, to keep the, the dialogue going and build consensus and, uh, and, and challenge each other and give feedback um, and things of that nature. And so that I think that um, that's an opportunity for uh, students to practice, um, you know, discussion um, outside of just being a part of, um, uh, of that type of uh, environment. Um, in their uh, in the classroom because uh, you know again from, from from the the research that I've done you know we do tend to you know uh, do that in our leadership classes we're in a circle we're in a square we're in a U you know we're not um, with the sage on the stage uh, staring up at the instructor as they you know wow us with their internet uh, with the leadership theory of the day. Um, and so I think that, that there's some real, uh, some real important things going on there. Um, so that, that certainly um, has me thinking a lot about um, about the discussion. You know, from to go to a um, you know a very different type of uh, of activity. Or you know, the the last chapter of the of the book looks at you know leadership is art, um, and you know I've, that's something that is really you know, central to um, programs that are going to be working with, you know, very diverse students um, and really integrating that interdisciplinarity um, into leadership education, course design, and curriculum design, and the way that, that, that we look at art um, and the art experience is both from that constructivist and that constructivist interpretive uh, interpretivist lenses, both where we're, you know, constructing or making our own art, um, and that ties back to the, you know, the leadership learning model and the uh, experiential nature of leadership education where, you know, learners are creating uh, and, and making meaning out of their experiences, and the, uh, when we integrate art, um, that tends to, that uh, is the avenue uh, or the medium by which they are doing that, um, instead of um, reflecting uh, in another journal, um, and yes, that's key to, to leadership development, but sometimes students get a little uh, taxed by uh, going back to their, their reflective journal um, by using different forms of, of making art, whether there be a collage or uh, digital storytelling uh, or, or just, you know, putting the, the crayons and the markers to paper, um, they can make meaning and reflect on experience uh, that way. Um, and then the uh, the other part of that is the you know the constructivist uh, interpretivist where um, you know I'd say an exemplary uh, model there is the you know, the visual explorer the metaphor explorer the transformations cards that come out of the center for the creative leadership um, where you know students make meaning from uh, these different images 
Um, and you know, so the you know the Visual Explorer, our sets of cards. Um, I know that the Gallup Strengths has cards. You can find these anywhere, uh, but they're very intentional images um, that will of uh, you know people doing certain things or things in nature or landscapes and um, you know different combinations of uh, of things going on in natural environments um, that speak to people, um, and it happens very quickly and very uh, very subconsciously that. Uh, we gravitate towards certain images and certain patterns, um, and we know why. We can explain it, um, and that interpretation that we get. And the same thing goes from taking, you know, you can take your students to an art museum. You can have them look at Impressionist art and Van Gogh and, and other things that, um, or listen to different types of music um, can have meaning. Uh, there's a great activity that um, referred to in the book about, um, you know, using uh, music as a metaphor for uh, thinking about uh, emotional intelligence and, and the different uh, uh, soundtracks that uh, might happen uh, in our workplace, in our different organizations, um, and what that means. And so um, we can very much use, use art um, to both construct meaning, uh, make meaning, and to reflect um, on or a follower. And again, that, those, that happens in both contexts of creating art and, um, and interpreting art um, because that connection to the individual is real in, in both contexts. All right. Well, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Uh, to sort of transition to a, to a conclusion of this, uh, of this uh, journey, journey through y'all's, y'all's work in this podcast, um, Kathy, I know that there's a companion manual in the works. Uh, what are y'all excited to share with that supplement? Oh, yeah. So, you know, the chapters that Dan was talking about, you know, that the last half of the book, chapters 10 through 17, actually at the end of each chapter we have two sections. One is the pedagogy to practice section, and it really is kind of like a snapshot of the overview of the pedagogy. And so this is really helpful in, you know, kind of seeing what, how does the pedagogy fit in with leadership education, right, and leadership learning? And then the second kind of brief section at the back of each of those chapters, chapters 10 through 17, is trans, um, transforming learning through that specific pedagogy. And it really has some highlights of what, um, how learning can be transformed, specifically leadership learning can be transformed by using that specific pedagogy. And so I think that's a great tool with these um, chapters to kind of highlight these specific pedagogies that we did discuss in the book. But I bring that up because that was really kind of the jumping off point, I would say, for the companion manual. So when we had talked about the book, we could not fit all of the different examples that we wanted to in the book. Because I know for me, when I'm trying to think of, well, how does this show up in a co-curricular program or how does this show up in the classroom, I love, we all love to have those examples to then be able to say, well, I can tweak it here or there to make it fit the, the context in which I'm, within I'm working in. But how does, that, um, how does that really make sense for that? It goes back to that intentional program design that we talked about in the last podcast. So the companion manual will really focus on the pedagogy and providing specific examples, whether it's course syllabi or specific activities, you know, and Dan was just able to mention in the brief time a few of those, but we're really looking to expand what we couldn't fit in the book to really um, 
kind of broaden that that scope of examples with the different pedagogy um, because as we evolve as um, and grow in our identity as leadership educators, our professional identity, but also as a discipline, I think this will continue to be important and how are we really digging into the instructional strategies and assessment strategies um, for leadership learning. So we're really excited about that and we are working away on it and hopefully it'll be out like in summer of 2019, so about a year from right now. So we're, you know, of course publication takes some time and but hopefully we'll have it out by next summer that will then pair with this with those specific examples. All right. Well, best of luck and uh, best of luck in that process. I know that that'll be a <laughs> know that that'll be an expensive undertaking. Um, Dan, any uh, any final thoughts as we wrap up just on the process? Um, any anything else you wanted to share about you know about about the book, or you think that people would be interested in knowing? Yeah, I mean, just you know, it was just a, a joy and a great learning experience working you know working with Kathy uh, on this over the last few years and um, and picking her brain and. Um, you know, again, and learning, learning as we as we went along, and you know, we we went into this project um, with the hope that you know we would be able to uh, you know change uh, you know change uh, folks' practice for for the better, that they would you know that we would transform the way that um, you know leadership educators uh, do their work, and that this would be a resource that. You know, they could go back to uh, time and time again. It was everything that we we wish we had known and wish that we had had available to us when we when we got into the profession and um, we you know did our uh, did the best that we could putting uh, all that together into into this one into this one resource and you know and looking forward to working on the companion manual and um, and continuing to uh, you know serve as you know, as a resource, uh, both as a person and to, and to continue to develop uh, these re- these resources. You know that that, that passion for developing uh, the capacity of, of uh, professional leadership educators is something I uh, hold dear to my heart, and um, hope that you know, the opportunities continue to uh, to be there to to do this work and uh, to work with uh, with great folks. All right. Thanks for sharing, Kathy. Any any final thoughts as we close out? Yeah, you know, I echo everything that Dan said, but I would also just um, want to put in some kind of, I guess, shameless plugs for some things that are happening. I mean, I'm at NASPA, of course, every year, and so would love to connect with anyone who would love to dig in deeper because I think this is just the beginning, um, and I'm excited, and I know Dan is as well, to engage with leadership educators around this material. But also, you know, there's the Association of Leadership Educators in July in Chicago. Um, then there's the International Leadership Association in West Palm Beach in November. And then um, the Leadership Educators Institute, which is um, co-sponsored by NASPA, actually, but uh, in December in Orlando. And so a lot of things come in just, you know, in the next six months, there's a lot of opportunity to continue to engage in not only conversations around the book and kind of what we're talking about with the role of leadership educators, but just with leadership education in general. And I know, I think Dan and I will both be at all of those um, in the next (laughs) six months. And so we'd love to have further conversations. Yeah. So please do not hesitate to reach out to us um, and hopefully we'll be able to continue the conversation and have some more one-on-one time with folks. So. All right, awesome. Well, 
Thanks, everyone, for joining us for the NASA Leadership Podcast presented by the NASA Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Committee, and thanks to Drs. Kathy Guthrie and Dan Jenkins. The role of leadership educators transforming learning is available now, and look out next summer for, uh, for the uh, companion manual. And thanks to you both for your time and for putting thought into the preparation of leadership educators, uh, a sorely needed initiative. Um, you can get more information about the KC in our various social media outlets, including facebook.com backslash lead on Twitter at NASPA SLPKC, and on Instagram at NASPA underscore SLPKC. Finally, if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, we'd love to hear about your program. So please shoot an email over to naspaleaderpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, Kathy and Dan. Thank you. Thank you.